Y'all ready for the word today? All right, a quick qualifier, just so you know, I'm, I'm going to be sharing some of these scriptures out of the ESV version uh, in a lot of my study. Uh, as I'm preparing for these messages, I'm usually in about four to five different translations of the Bible. Um, I typically read from the CSB version, um, and then, but today some of these verses are just better highlighted uh, with some of the nuances of the words through the ESV version. So if some of your translations look different than what's on the screen, um, then uh, that's, that's kind of what's going on. If you don't know what those translations are, I would say grab one of our team afterwards, um, and they can definitely help you with, uh, with why we have different translations of Scripture, um, especially for those of you who might be guests today, um, no background of faith, or just kind of trying to figure things out. Does that sound good? Yeah. All right, let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 18 through to 20. How many of you got something out of last week's message? All right. We're, we're venturing into some, some tough stuff, um, but uh, I promise you, uh, Christmas is coming. So um, <laughs> we're going to transfer from snakes to who knows what. But um, anyways, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 18 through to 20. If you don't have your Bible, it'll be up on the screen as well. It says this, this, I, this charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. So, that, so if you've ever wondered, like, why, if you're reading First and Second Timothy right now, why, why it sounds very militant in nature, um, and, and, and the language is, is like, strong and, and stark, it's because Paul's speaking to Timothy, and he's, he's, in, he's charging him with something. He's pushing him into something. He's saying, listen, I need you to, uh, I need you to understand this, and th that what we're in is a good fight, all right? Holding faith and a good conscience. And by rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith. So what is he saying that they're rejecting? By rejecting faith and good conscience. Okay, so those are the two things that, that, that these two, and he's going to name some people, that they rejected faith and a good conscience. And by doing this, he says that some have shipwrecked. Ever shout shipwreck? shipwreck? Ever shout shipwreck? shipwreck. They've shipwrecked their, their faith. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I've handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Okay, so I want to just qualify strong language because you can hear a verse like this and you're like, what's happening, right? So to clarify, when, when Paul writes this to Timothy, he's talking, to, he's talking about a space when he says, I've handed them over to Satan so they'd be taught not to blaspheme. What he's saying is, I've handed them over to the space that the enemy has a tendency to occupy. We all know it very well. It's called the world around us. And so what he was saying is that these two people had, they had rejected faith and a good conscience, and then as you dig into Scripture more, you'll understand that these two were actually trying to teach people to reject the faith and good conscience that they had rejected. Does that make sense? And so Paul says, I needed to, I needed to ask them to like, hey, listen, you need to move on because you are not helping Create the place that needs to be created for people to grow in their faith. You're actually causing people to stumble. You're teaching things that aren't in alignment with Scripture. And because of that, um, he let them go and said, hey, you, your playground is a different playground, and that's the space out here, the world around. He said, because what you're teaching right now does not line up with God's Word. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so I, I want to make sure and qualify that because um, it's not every day that we venture through um, pieces of Scripture like First and Second Timothy in church. But I really do believe that there is some, like, there is some stuff in these, these three letters, and Titus as well, that are really important to us, especially now in this cultural moment that we're living in. How many of you agree with me that right now in this moment, like, things just seem heightened right now? There's a lot going on in, in and around the world, and in our lives, and the stuff that we're seeing, and, and I'm just, I just decided after I really felt God press us to, to go into this series 
because of a lot of the conversations that I've been having with you. And going, how do we navigate the world around? How do we navigate through these things that we are facing? So this is my attempt to equip you as the church to walk through this faith journey that we're in. And I will say, for some of us in here, maybe you've come in today and, and you're like, somebody tricked me. They said we were going to a club and we showed up to church. <laughs> or, they, or they paid you to come by, by lunch afterwards. Um, you are cool. Like, I'm so glad that you're here. And, and if you're kicking the tires on faith, know that a lot of these conversations right now are very much pointed at those of us who would say, listen, I'm trying to follow Jesus. But I hope that you can hear the tenor and, and the heart behind these messages as you wrestle through this thing called faith. Does that sound good? So this morning as we continue on in our series, Defense Against the Dark Arts, I want to speak to you from this subject right here. Watch for shipwrecks. Watch for shipwrecks. As we look at the issue of shipwrecking our faith, will you pray with me just one more time today? Jesus, we love you. We worship you. And we thank you for your goodness. And we declare that today we are no longer a slave to fear. Your word says that we have been given a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. And so, God, right now, we submit every faculty of who we are. We submit everything that we are to you today. Speak to us now. And I pray that your word today would fall upon open minds and soft hearts. God, we thank you for what it is. God, I thank you for what it is that you're doing in this place right now. And so we submit ourselves to your word today. God, move me out of the way. May these be your words, not my words. In Jesus' mighty name. Come on, and everybody shouted. Um, I saw the movie Titanic once. Once. Come on, anybody know what I'm talking about? Some of you are like, I've seen it four times. Uh, I saw it once, and uh, I, I, was, I was fascinated by the movie. And here's why I was fascinated by the movie. Probably not the same reason that you were fascinated by the movie, but I was fascinated that they made a moment in history about a ship with a bunch of people and them dying. They made it romantic. Come on, that like blew my mind. Like we had this whole thing going on and everybody, all, like do you remember the part where everyone's dying at the end? Um, spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> some of you are like, where is he going with this, right? So everybody, and they're drowning. This is how my mind works when I'm watching these things. They're all drowning and we're all zoned into this love story with Jack and Rose. Everybody, like death all around. And we're like, what's gonna happen? Is there a sequel? No, there's not a sequel. <laughs> Because the story is about a boat where everyone dies. It's crazy. I was fascinated by it. And here's, <laughs> I give you that illustration because here, here's, here's what like blows my mind. We took a bad situation, a, like in, in, from a historical perspective, and we romanticized it. And what we have a tendency to do with scripture sometimes is we have a tendency to romanticize things that have no business being romanticized. We have a tendency to try to rose-colored glasses this word right here. And so then when we come to like a letter like First and Second Timothy and Titus, we're shocked, we're in awe that we're hearing some of the language that we're hearing and we're like, man, I can't believe, like that's not, that's not how I understood God and that's not how I understood, I thought God was loving and caring and kind and gracious and all these things. He is, but here's the problem that some of us have ventured into and this is what is shipwrecking faith is that we believe God to be a sappy boyfriend rather than a heavenly father. 
You know what I'm talking about? Have you seen that movie? It's got John Cusack in it, and he's outside his girlfriend's window holding a boombox, right? In your eyes, I can see. You know that part? Some of you are like, what are you talking about? That was the 80s, baby. Come on. But that's who, like, that's who we see. Like, like, he's a boyfriend from the breakfast club. That's not who God is. He's a heavenly father. How many of you agree with my, me right now? Boyfriends are different than dads. Dads kill boyfriends. <laughs> Come on online, put it in the chat section. That's tweetable right there. Dads kill boyfriends. My daughters, if you're watching. So you have this shipwrecking issue. So when Paul writes to Timothy about a shipwrecking, Timothy didn't see it romanticized. He didn't have Jack and Rose in his mind. They were a people of, of they used ships and boats to transport and, and make things happen. They, they were, that was their life for fishing and all those different things. So he, they understood inherently this whole shipping idea very differently. And so when Paul writes, these guys have shipwrecked their faith and others were shipwrecking their faith, that had a very different connotation to it. Do you guys see what I'm talking about? He didn't picture Jack and Rose. He, he pictured old ships on, on the beach that didn't make it very far out to sea, that they, they didn't make it to their destination. That's the picture that now Timothy has. And this is really important for us to understand because it helps bring the tension to a message like this because Paul's giving us, and, and Scripture as a whole gives us so many things that we need to understand in order not to see our faith shipwrecked. Y'all with me still? This picture that Paul paints for Timothy is one that he would very much understand. Stand. People were afraid of shipwrecks. People knew that, that setting sail meant the possibility of a shipwreck. And their sailing ability did not have the same comforts and ability that we now currently have in our technological age. So to set sail on a ship was a dangerous proposition. And I would venture to say this to us today. To set sail on the boat of faith is a dangerous proposition. It's not to be romanticized. It's not to have, like, so many times we throw the K-Love sticker on it, right? It's positive, encouraging K-Love. Until 2020 and 2021 happens. And so when we set sail on this boat called faith, I just need us to understand that this is not a suburban faith. This is not a white picket fence faith. This is not a well-manicured lawn faith. It is dangerous, and there is a real enemy that's out to mess that journey up to shipwreck our faith. But I also have to tell us, as we're going to discover in this message today, that there is a good God on our boat, one that takes us from point A to point B. Watch for the shipwreck. See, each one of us has to make the daily decision not to be influenced by the culture around us but rather to be a person that is passionate about living the type of life designed by God. Because here's the truth, the details of the design matter and the application of those details in and through our daily lives matters. Listen to how one commentator put it. Paul's appeal in verse 19 reminds us that correct belief alone does not guarantee a useful Christian life. Each person must combine a right understanding with a proper response. Our faith must produce good works, not pious, pious platitudes. Now, I just made a statement that for some of us, all of a sudden our hairs went whoop. He said good works. Have you noticed that good works became a cuss word in church? Come on, how many of you know what I'm talking about? 
So let, let's just like create a base understanding of some of this truth. Ever shout the word legalism? Legalism. This is what legalism means. Legalism means that I believe, that you believe, that in, in order to earn God's love, I must do good things. And that's not true. That is legalism, but it's not true. What we need to understand that by way of the gospel is that I cannot earn his love. I cannot pick it up at Walmart. It does not come in bulk at Costco. You will not now order it on Amazon. God's love is only produced in and through Jesus and given to you and I. It is by grace that we are saved, not by my own works. You cannot earn it. Oh, come on. There's got to be a better shout than that. That's good news. But it should produce something in me. So while I do not earn it, it does change me. I've been saved by grace, and now that grace empowers me to live the life that God has called me to. And now I desire to because I understand how good God is. I want my life to be. So let's go to the Bible really quick to kind of push this a little bit further. Ephesians, 10 verses. Y'all good with that? Yeah. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 says this. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by, by nature children under wrath. Naughty by nature. Wrath. <laughs> Some of you got that joke. But God, who is rich in mercy, come on, here's the good news. Because he's rich in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us, he made us alive with Christ even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. Exclamation point. You wonder why I'm shouting. I'm just going with scripture. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace, through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is God's gift, it is not from works so that no one can boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. That is the clearest and most concise doctrinal and theological statement concerning grace and salvation by way of grace that you'll find in the Bible. The exhortation is that in and through Christ, we're saved by this grace. It's not a product of what we do. But here's the problem. Many of us just stop there. I want to argue today that salvation's the bottom of the ladder. And there's so much more to see. Some of us just stop here. And he's like, no, no, wait a second. That grace is empowering. That grace has fruit that's produced in your life. That grace changes your marriage, changes your relationship. It changes your perspective. It changes your mind. It changes my heart. It changes my desires. It alters who I am so that I become a greater image bearer. Come on, anybody with me this morning in church today? These are important truths. But here's the problem. The current pop culture is teaching us that God simply loves us. <laughs> Somebody's like, wait, I thought he did love me. <laughs> he does. As a father, not a boyfriend. 
this is what's tricky, and this is why I want us to understand this, because, and we're going to talk about this a little more in the series in one of the offshoot videos. When we come in with the, theolo- like the theology of boyfriend love from God, then we do what many times happens, and we fall out of love. And we believe that that happens as well with God. We just fall in and out of love. How many of you know what I'm talking about? We just don't love each other anymore. That's cool. But how many of you know that I do not fall out of love with my children? Come on. We were t- we, if you were here a couple weeks ago, we were talking about that. Eric and I have explained to our children that our love for each other is very different than the love that we have for our kids. I love my kids. Unconditionally. There's something that happens when that, when that like, when, when I had my, my son and then subsequently my daughters, there was a love, I understood internally a love that I've never experienced before. And, like, and it didn't change my love for her, but we got to work at our love. Come on. We got to work at our love, but I don't have to work at loving my kids. Okay, maybe like on Thursdays. <laughs> the parents are like, ah, there's... There's holes in that theology. <laughs> right? But like how many of you know, like as a parent, some of you aren't parents, I understand this. So to all the singles in here and to all like the non-marrieds and everything like that, just work with me for, uh, for a second. This is just my life phase. I'm not trying to ignore you, okay? But here, here's the deal. If my kid is running towards the street and I know that trucks are coming, how many of you know that I am running after them? And I'm not like, hey, come back. Right? That's not, that's not how I'm running and I'm yelling at the top of my lungs. Watch out! Trucks come! Ah! 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 Right? And, I'm, I, and I will knock them over and I will throw them and I will jump in front of the truck. But if my friend Joe is running towards the road, I'm thinking twice. <laughs> as to whether I'm going to get in front of that truck. You've grown, but you know what I'm talking about. So my kid, I'm running for him. But Joe, there's a split second to go, ah, he's had a good life. <laughs> so what's happening is it's distorted. This idea of a base level inaccurate understanding of God's love is destroying the gospel. Because what happens is we tell people God loves them. But then when God wants to change you in his love, we go, whoa, that's not love. Y'all see what we're poking at here? Eugene Peterson put it like this. He said, following Jesus doesn't get us to where we want to go. It gets us to where Jesus wants us to go. We're following Jesus. We're not like, we could, if we, if we mess it up, we could potentially go like, okay, I'm saying yes to Jesus. Now, Jesus, follow me. We flip the leadership role. I'm, I'm not saying yes to Jesus so Jesus can say yes to me. I'm saying yes to what Jesus has already bought and paid for. And then he says, Follow me. Be led by me. Have, my, have your life defined by me. This will set some of us free today. So what I want to do is I just want to take a look at a few things that I think are really important to us when it comes to this issue of watching out for shipwrecks. Come on, ever shout shipwreck? shipwreck. And what... What and how does this, how, like, how does this take place? So what I did over the past couple weeks is I've taken some time to study how shipwrecks get wrecked. Like, how does this happen? Like, what, what's, the, what's the reason <laughs> that ships get wrecked? Especially, like, nowadays. It's not happening much anymore. 
So, like, just use this as, as kind of like an older reality, but why? Like, I asked the question, like, how, how did this happen? And there's a common theme that I started to pick up on as I read all of these stories. I, I, I researched like 10 major shipwrecks across history, and there was a common theme that started to take place in these, in these shipwrecks, and that's what I wanna share with you today, and then we're gonna kinda, we're gonna parlay it into how that applies to our faith journey. Does that sound good? All right, everybody shout number one. Here's the first reason that ships wreck. It's navigation issues. It's navigation issues. Sometimes it's they get lost. Sometimes they messed up on reading the, the navigation. Back in the day, they used to follow the stars. They misread and they would, get, they would get lost. Sometimes there was navigation issues because the people on the ship wanted to change the course. Which just as a little offshoot, show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Some of these ships would get hijacked by the very crew that they were carrying. And it wouldn't end up where the captain needed the ship to go. Navigation issues. The problem is, for many of us, this is what we're facing when it comes to our journey of faith right now. Listen to what it says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through to 17. But now, but know this, hard times will come in the last days. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud, demeaning, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, without love for what is good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to the form of godliness but denying its power. It sounds almost prophetic, doesn't it? We will not hear this scripture on Caleb. It doesn't introduce any song well. <laughs> I, want to I want to skip down to verse 13. Watch this. It says, evil people and imposters will become worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly, every shout firmly. firmly. Every shout firmly. firmly. Come on, every shout firmly. He says, continue in what you have firmly believed. This series, Defense Against the Dark Arts, is about getting firm beliefs. This is a firmly series. And I know it can be challenging and I know it can be jarring for some of us, but as your pastor, there's moments where we're going to encourage and, and we're going to push and it's going to be inspiring and, and we're going to walk out of here full of just faith and excitement and so on. But then there's other parts that, hey, I, I've got to teach us some things and push us into some, some, some things so that there's firmly in our soul. That we've got firm ground that we're standing on. Why? Because shipwrecks happen. It says, but as for you, continue in what you've learned and firmly believed. You know those who taught you. And you know that from infancy you have known the sacred scriptures. I love this. Which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All scripture. Every shout, all. 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 Did you know that all means all? And that's all all means? Yeah, joke. All scripture 
is inspired by God. And it's profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Come on, can we just celebrate the goodness of God's word for just a second? The truth is, is that we have a constant in life. We don't have to face navigation issues. I want to just put this out there for some of us to understand today. We have to start asking the question of ourselves, who are we asking directions from? Show of hands, how many of you have ever gotten lost before? Like, just be honest, no judgment. Okay, perfect. The entire 11 p.m. service. It's horrible directions. <laughs> Come on, show of hands, how many of you have gotten lost before? I get lost all the time, it's okay, cool, awesome. Have you ever, in being lost, have you ever went and asked somebody for directions? And you're like, hey, do you know where this, like where this is, I'm trying to get here. And have you ever watched that person start to try to explain to you where, like, where you need to go? They're like, oh yeah, if you, and then as they start talking about it, you're like, you have no idea what you're talking about as well. <laughs> do you? I think it's like right around the corner, just take like four lefts and a right and a left and another right. <laughs> and you're like, you have no idea how to get to where I'm trying to get to. You know what's crazy is that we have a tendency to do that with our life and our faith. We have a tendency to pull people around us that are just as lost as we are. And I just need us to understand that this book right here, come on, the Bible says this, I want to I read this to you in Psalms. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So if you ever need just a picture of what this thing is, just be like this. <laughs> I will find my way as long as this is my light. I will find my way as long as this is my, my guide. And, and guess what? You got some other people that are wandering around and you bump into them and it's like, hey, I got a light for you. Come on, let's go. Let's do this together. I got, I got a light for you. Let's, let's just open it up and it illuminates my path. This will not lead you astray. Why? Because of what he said right here, that all, all scripture, it is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness so that you would be complete and equipped for everything. It's good news. We have a constant. Number two, every shot number two. Here's the second reason ships get wrecked is unanticipated weather. Storms. Mark chapter 4, 35 through 41 says this. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. How many of you know when Jesus said, let us do something, it's probably going to happen, right? So Adele's in the background and she's singing and it's great and leaving the crowd they took with him, they took, went with him on the boat just as he was. And other boats were with them. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with a great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? We read that scripture and it sounds so beautiful. Like, okay, the disciples were on the boat. 
Jesus was sleeping, and then he woke up, and he told the storm, like, hey, be still. It's like a pretty story. That's not, could you imagine being, I want to be on that boat. Could you imagine how that played out on the boat? Like, they're standing there, waves are going, everything's happening, Jesus is sleeping, and the disciples are like, hey, somebody's got to wake Jesus up. This storm's getting out of control, and I don't know if we're going to make it. And they're like, hey, 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 like, he said we were going to make it. And they're like, I don't know, this is getting, this is getting, it might be bigger for Jesus. Could you imagine them trying to draw straws as to who's going to wake Jesus up? They're like, Peter, I think you should do it. Peter's like, "Uh uh-uh, last time I bothered him, he called me Satan. Um, I'm out. (laughs) Shot not. (laughs) Right? So they're trying to figure out who's going to, and then, so whoever it was, it doesn't tell us who it was, but could you imagine that tiptoe moment? He looks back at the other disciples, and they're like, Back, wind's going, waves are going, everybody's rocking. They have to do it a third time because three's in scripture all the time. <laughs> That's so not true. So they wake, wake Jesus up. I want to be there when they wake Jesus up out of his sleep. What did that look like? These are the questions I'm going to ask in heaven. How did that go, Jesus? And what I find fascinating about this piece of scripture is that Jesus is woken. He doesn't acknowledge the disciples, but he acknowledges the storm. And he says, peace be still. So he corrects the outside storm. And then after the storm's corrected, he corrects the inside storm of the disciples. Do you still not have faith? What he's trying to get the disciples to understand is at the end of the day, there's going to be unanticipated storms But he said, come with me to the other side. This is the journey of faith. And many of us are sitting on the shores of life with shipwrecked faith. And I just want to call us back and say, come on somebody. In and through Christ, we do not have to get lost in the storm. We do not have to be battered by the storm. We do not have to be shipwrecked by the storm. He is that good. Number three, and here's the last one. Everybody shout number three. Here's the third reason why ships get wrecked. is constant overloading. Baggage. Baggage. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30 says this. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. But I want you to see something. There's a transaction. There's a, there's a heavenly transaction that takes place here. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and I'm lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. I want to illustrate something for you. Pastor Dave, will you pop up here, bud? How many of you love Pastor Dave? Come on. He is a much bigger and broader man than I. (laughs) I often find myself jealous, but it's another message. 
So for many of us, this illustration right here is very foreign. Like, is he talking about eggs? Is it like, was it, what is he talking about? A yolk? What's a yolk? What's that whole thing about? Well, a yolk was an apparatus that was placed upon two oxen. And those oxen would tread together. They would work together. Because if an oxen with one yoke, and the apparatus was a wooden apparatus, it had two rounded slat cuts in it, and the yoke would be placed upon the oxen's neck, and then they would work together, and then a farmer would stand, you can stay right there, okay. Father, <laughs> fa- uh, not a father, a farmer would stand um, behind the oxen, and the oxen would tread, and they would, they would till the ground. And o- a one oxen with the yoke didn't do anything. It was an impossible task. It was, it was wearisome. It was laborious. He was heavy laden. So Jesus offers this picture and he says, hey, listen, those of you who are weary and heavy laden, come to me and I'll give you rest. But this is how he said you would, you would find rest, that you would take his yoke upon you. And what I want to illustrate at the end of the day is what this yoke looks like when we are teamed up with Jesus. Because many of us right now are trying to do this journey of faith and we're carrying all kinds of baggage, bringing all kinds of stuff into the relationship. And Jesus is saying, hey, listen, why don't you come to me and find rest with me? You need to lay down your baggage and then you need to take up the yoke that I have and we will labor and tread together. But just know that it's easy and it's light. This means that none of us have to be perfect and we won't be perfect, but I've got a power source that is stronger than I. I've got a power source that when I'm treading through life, when I'm working through the things that I'm trying to work through, I've got somebody who's carrying the load with me. He did not promise that it would be easy. He just promised that it would be light. He did not promise that things were gonna happen. He just said that he would bear it with us. You have a savior who is walking with you. He is treading with you. You and I can be yoked up with Jesus. And some of us are trying to do it ourselves. We're trying to carry our own baggage. We've got this thing called faith. And it's like, no, you don't. Because you're trying to carry all the stuff that he died for into it. That's why he died for it. So we're trying to go like this. Here, Jesus me my stuff he's like no no I want you I don't want your stuff come on you're like but what, what about this hurt he's like I, I know about that hurt I died for it please leave it alone okay but what about this one we've got the sea of baggage over here and we're just carrying all this stuff around we're like hey Jesus he's like no 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 uh-uh. that's your yoke Take my yoke. That's your that's your burden. I died for that. I want you to take my yoke upon you. And it's the yoke of grace. It's the yoke of salvation. You leave that stuff behind, the stuff that you've been carrying and doing life with, and you come with me, and you will find life and life to the fullest. In Jesus' mighty name. Come on, is anybody thankful for Jesus today? Thanks, Father.